You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me for this episode of Gators Breakdown is former Mississippi State quarterback and current color analyst on the Mississippi State Radio Network, Matt Wyatt. You can also check him out on ESPN Mississippi 95.1, as well as all his film study on YouTube. Matt, once again, thank you for joining me here on Gators Breakdown. Yeah, man. Good to see you. I'm glad that uh, the game is finally here. We've been previewing this thing for like a year, it seems like. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad we finally get to play the game now. Yeah, I'm sure when Dan Mullen was announced as uh, Florida's head coach, this is the one the uh, Mississippi State fans circled right away. No doubt. They <laughs> really did. And, you know, the the emotion in it is kind of all over the map, just according to who you talk to. Like there's – well, I think the way I stated it in an interview today – uh, talking to one of the guys on radio there in Gainesville is I, I expect a full stadium. So you'll have 61, 62,000, 40,000 will boo Dan when they get a chance. They'll boo him. Of those 40,000 that will boo him, I think about 30,000 are just going to do it for fun. <laughs> but there will be that 10,000 that'll be booing because they really believe they hate him because he left, you know? So. It's kind of, and somebody brought up the example recently said, well, Hey, look, man, it's just what we do in the sec. I think it was Chuck Oliver. I was on his show and he said, look, that's what we do in the sec. He said, Spurrier wins a Heisman and a national championship at Florida rolls back in there with South Carolina. They booed him out of the building and now he's works there again. They love him again. Yep. You know? <laughs> so it's just the way it is. Yeah, that was, I was in the stadium too. It, it was bittersweet, you know, kind of <laughs> bo- hearing the boos for Spurry, yeah. but, it, but it happened. You're right. It, 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 yeah. at, at that point, you're the enemy uh, for, those, <laughs> for those three hours, but uh, that that's just how it goes. And it was that's funny right. it, in that in that first year, old, old Spurrier got Meyer. So. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, he sure did. So um, it's, look, it's, um, it's just part of it. I think Dan knows that he's a really, you know, intelligent guy. He knows that. And I think he also knows that a lot of the people that are going to go boo when they get a chance are people that he probably knows, knew some of them or shook their hands at some point and they don't really hate him. They're just yeah. doing it because they're supposed to, you know, so. Are there going to be modified cowbells for this one somehow? Make them even louder? Maybe. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but there, it will be full of cowbells. <laughs> I have seen some of those double-barrel cowbells. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those where they hold it in the middle, and there's a bell on either oh, end, yeah. and they just twist it back and forth, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, they'll have some of those. And, you know, uh, the, the ring responsibly thing, I, first of all, when they started that three or four years ago, I was very skeptical going into the year, like, you're asking people that ring these cowbells the, all the time and always have to be cognizant in the stands during a game. Okay. The center's over the ball. I don't ring. It ain't going to work. <laughs> and doggone man, they promoted it all summer, talked about it, did interviews on our radio shows. And that first game, we couldn't believe what we were hearing, but the entire stadium, they were looking at the video boards, you know, and they're ringing like crazy. And it would say, rest your bell when the center guy, and they would stop and start yelling. I couldn't believe that it was working. <laughs> so they've kind of obeyed it. And uh, whether or not they obey that this week remains to be seen. 
Well, I think you know the the perfect test for that is when you guys play Ole Miss at home. So that you know the the, yeah. the, the feeling is probably similar here at least sure. at, at least for this year. So sure, right. We'll, we'll get into uh, breaking this game down, but before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on News4Jacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack Sports team. That's News4Jacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown. Catch Gators Breakdown on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube if you want the video version or catch us live like some of you are doing now. And then share, rate, review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Matt, what's the general feeling around the game right now? It probably has dampened a little bit with the loss of Kentucky. Uh, you guys coming off there. Uh, heck, in the in the preseason, we thought both of these teams would be, be kind of undefeated coming into this matchup. But lo and behold, both have a loss to Kentucky on the resume. Yeah, nobody saw that coming. Kentucky is a little better, I think, than people might have realized coming into the year. And Florida didn't really play that well against Kentucky at home. And State really didn't play well last week on the road. Uh, it was a very ugly game for State offensively. Um, you know, some things that illustrate that, State went up there and had 16 penalties for 140 yards in that game. There are a bunch of them, I, I think it was like maybe four personal fouls that were after the play pushing and shoving things, and which is, you know, you can't do that. The other thing was false starts. There were, I, I hope I'm getting this right, but I thought I went back and looked at it again. But you know, you had multiple false starts in the first half. State possessed the ball six times in the first half and had six false start penalties. So they oh. averaged a false start per possession. And that was a thing, you know. So you go into the locker room tied seven seven. And it seemed like State had one scoring drive lasted eight minutes. They just went right down the field. Well, that just happened to be the one drive. They have like one false start penalty. They overcame it. The rest of the half, that whole first, and in the second half too, they were behind the chains. It seemed like all night long, first and 15, second and 24, you know. And first of all, you don't practice and work on a lot of offense for those situations, you know, you're working on your offense to go out and run on second and seven and throw the ball on third and nine and what you're going to run on third and short. And they never could get in any kind of rhythm play calling wise because of all these penalties. And so I would say that at home this week for state, it's virtually impossible for them to play as poorly as they did last week on offense. They'll have to play better. Uh, what's the thoughts on Joe Moorhead uh, so far in, in this first season? I know much of it depends on how he bounces back Saturday uh, from Kentucky to Florida, but what are your takeaways four games into the new era? Is he learning on the job more than, than originally thought coming in maybe? Um, yeah, I think, you know, if you'd asked me that question before last week, I think the answer was, I mean, they, everything had gone really smoothly in those first three games, three non-conference, um, a, a really solid road win with explosive plays at Kansas State. You know, they just ran the ball all over them. Kylan Hill had like 210 yards rushing at Kansas State, and they had some explosive plays in the past game. Defense was dominant. So after three weeks, um, they were throwing the ball well. They, tons of explosive plays. To give you an example of what we were talking about before the Kentucky game, at that time, after three games, State was leading the country in – offensive plays of 20 yards or longer and had already had more 30 plus yard plays in three games than they had all of last season. So around here, man, we're like, Hey, how good can this team be? This is incredible. And then last week at Kentucky, it not only struggled, it just came to a screeching halt. Um, Fitzgerald goes out and has 20 yards rushing in the game. You know, you got six false starts. Um, you score seven points. You 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 barely scratched 200 yards of total offense. The team had negative yardage on offense in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was just like, where did this come from? How could this even be possible? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, I think that's the thing that has you know generated this big time just a reaction from the fan base this week. It's not that you lost. 
you could go to Kentucky and play well, and they could beat you 24-21. They're a good team, especially at home. But it's the way you lost, and that is just zero continuity and punch on offense. And it really, until they get that taste out of their mouth, it really has a lot of fans worried, to be honest with you. Uh, what differences ha- have you noticed from the first four games from from Moorhead compared to Mullen? You already mentioned, you know, the, the plays of over thirty yards, uh, so maybe in a more uh, explosive offense. But um, you know, are, are there are, are there key differences that uh, maybe speak to some more success for Moorhead compared to Mullen? Yes, um, one there's one primer primary difference in the pass game. So I mentioned the explosive plays. The philosophy throwing the ball in all four of the games has been to heck with a five-yard completion. We want 25-yard completions. We're pumping that sucker down the field. We are looking to get guys open past the sticks. Uh, There are no bubble screens to wide receivers in the offense. There hasn't been a single one. They've thrown a couple of swing pass screens to a running back, but that's basically it. There are no high percentage throws. They are trying to look for the home run and they've hit some of them. And it's just a natural thing. If you practice it more often and make it a priority, and then you try it more often in the game, you're going to hit more of them. And they did the, the uh, result of that though, has been a lower completion percentage this year so far from your quarterback. So l- higher percentage throws equals lower completion percentage. That all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And they've, um, the other thing too, is we have seen more instances, just it's every other play. It seems like of what looks like an RPO ish type of play where there's a run play called, but there's a pass tag to it for the quarterback based on the defense. And a bunch of times where you can tell the offensive line is run blocking. The running back is running a running play but Fitzgerald pulls the ball out of there and throws it because you're running more RPO stuff. And I would say so far this year, that's the two biggest differences that we've seen. Matt Wyatt joining us here, talking uh, Florida, Mississippi State preview, and we'll get into uh, more of the game preview uh, starting right here. Matt, uh, of course, one of the the questions that was definitely going to come up for Dan Mullen uh, in talking to the media this week is the familiarity uh, that he has with the Mississippi State program, and uh, and he went went to, went on to say that uh, you know he he has an understanding of the personnel and the teams, and you know, he knows the the strength and the weaknesses, so he may not have to spend as much time on film, you know, learning what these guys do. Uh, you know, uh, their, their strength, their weaknesses, uh, tendencies there, uh, but also going at it the, the other way. Um, these players are familiar with Dan Mullen, uh, mm-hmm. as well. What, how do you see this playing out uh, as maybe who has the advantage as, as far as familiarity goes? Yeah. Um, you know, on the surface, it looks like, you know, the former coaching staff would have the, you know, a little bit of an advantage for Mullen and guys because they're paid professionals. That what they do is they they make a living breaking down another team, evaluating them, figuring out where's a weak spot, what can we do, and then go out and put the plan in based on that. So you you don't have a scenario where they're going to have to spend a ton of time evaluating individual matchups. You know, like scouting individual players on the line of scrimmage and who's got wit, what strength here and there. They're not going to have to spend that time on that. Uh, so that looks like it'd be an advantage. The issue with that is, number one, players can improve in an offseason. You know, there can be a guy who struggled with something last year who works on it in the offseason, and now he's not struggling with that anymore. You know, so no, so like, for instance, yeah, Dan may have an upper hand in scouting players and, and matchups, but he's still – got to do his due diligence as a staff and scouting staff to go ahead and watch all the film and break it all down. So, and then the other thing is, you know, it's all new schemes um, in terms of terminology, play calls and situational stuff. So then it's actually maybe less of an advantage for Mullen and staff because they only have four games of film mm-hmm. to watch and see what are these play callers at state. Now, what are their tendencies on third and short? Well, in four games, you're only in third and short a couple of times. So there's this great unknown. There is a great likelihood that there's going to be a a fourth and one scenario in the game and the defensive staff for Florida, they they don't have any clue 
what state's going to call because there's no film on it at all. So there's give and take on that kind of thing. The And you mentioned the other side of it where the Mullen run game, Mullen and Hevesy, the way they coach the run game, their techniques, their stances, their formations to get in certain plays, you're going to have defensive players, some seniors who play a lot of football at state who, heck, they practice against it their whole career leading into this game. There may be there may be tendencies and formational stuff with certain plays being run that a Jeffrey Simmons and a Montez Sweat may actually recognize it because they saw it so much. And, and then I would imagine that any all the terminology, checks at the line of scrimmage, all the things, the words that you would use in the Mississippi State offense, they're going to be using different stuff this year at Florida simply for the fact that you got to play state and you can't use the same terminology because they all know it. So it's, yes, there's some advantages you would think, and it may play a factor in the game, but I'm not sure it favors one side or the other. How much could that, I mean, my co-host brought this up on the previous episode and you know, saying there, there may be a wrinkle or two, as you mentioned, you know, some of the senior players who, who have practiced against this offense uh, for, for years now, uh, um, like maybe, Dan Mullen can come up with something and the offensive coaches where maybe they bait them where they think they know what they're seeing. Yeah. Yes. Could, could that come into it? Do you change something like that going into, to this game as you know, Florida, Florida, you're still installing the offense Mm -hmm. in general anyway, because of all the the newness that's there, but could they create a couple of wrinkles there that maybe throw these guys off on the the Mississippi state defense? I would certainly think so. Yeah. I I would certainly, certainly think that there's going to be some, Deals where, like, you know, if you're if the ball's on the you know, the left hash and you line up a tight end on the line of the boundary and three receivers to the field, and if you're gonna run zone, some type of zone run into the boundary, you line it up a certain way, you know, you formation it a certain way, and you know, maybe you you wrinkle it this week. In other words, we run counter, you know, and so it looks like we're zoning it there, but it's actually going back the other way. You know, there'll be some little wrinkles. I think, yes, those are the little nuances and little bitty technical, tiny little details and things that coaches are going to think about that when we watch the game, me and you, we may not know what's going on behind it. We just see the play. But they will have done something specific for that. Really, though, too, I think the reason, and we have to remember this, yes, those things can be a part of the thinking and the game plan. But the coaches, the reason they will tell you in press conferences, yeah, well, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> the reason they say that is because they know, David, if if you run a 4-4 and I'm slow and out of shape, okay, um, you can tell me, hey, Matt, I'm about to run a slant route and I still can't cover it. <laughs> right. Right? I can know what's coming. I still can't. They know that ultimately this does come down to personnel. And what Dan's looking at is State's got a a wounded team who's good and ticked off after last week, who is one of the more physical teams in our schedule. We got to go to their place. And they have a Jeffrey Simmons that knows, another senior right next to him, a Hoyette, a Corey Thomas, those guys. They got sweat at defensive end who's going to be a draft pick. They got Rivers at another defensive end who'll be a draft pick next year. You know, we we can fool them all we want. How are we going to block those guys? I guarantee you that's what they're thinking. And for State, their worry is this. Florida has good players on defense. They got some great guys, some big-time talented guys on that defensive front that some of them are more talented than the players we played last week at Kentucky, and we couldn't block Kentucky. You know, so the play, the coaches, I think, as much as anything else, are trying to get their guys to win these one-on-one physical battles because that's really what will make the difference in the game. Matt, it could be said, you know, last week was an aberration. Uh, looking, uh, going back at the Kentucky, you mentioned, you know, Mississippi State probably played the worst game uh, they, they could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that game, did you see signs from Nick Fitzgerald maybe taking that next step as a passer? You know, a lot of the talk was, can he push the ball downfield consistently? We know that was a problem last week, but what about the games before that and maybe what we can expect against Florida? Yeah, so, you know, he missed the first game because of a suspension. Right. Then against Kansas State, he had some some really some nice plays and explosive plays, but he was not very consistent. He was amped up, and he sailed the ball a couple of times, and so his completion percentage was down. And then in week three, 
against Louisiana Lafayette, he was awesome. He was as sharp and as accurate and in control throwing the ball, frankly, as, as maybe I've seen him in his career. I came out of that third game going into Kentucky thinking, okay, based on what I saw, I think Fitzgerald is ready to go. I think he's ready to pop, especially throwing the ball. He's never had an issue with arm strength. Uh, he's one of these guys where other quarterbacks every now and then, would, you know, they might watch him throw and go, holy cow, <laughs> you know, he can let it rip. It's just a matter of dialing it all in because he was inexperienced throwing the ball. And, you know, against Louisiana Lafayette, you go back and you watch some of the plays he made there, some of the third down throws. He was as sharp as he's been. And, and again, you turn around and do what you did offensively, which is not much against Kentucky. And it's terribly confusing. You know, where did that go? But as you look a little closer, their issues on offense against uh, Kentucky, they were not quarterback issues. Um, he did have the one glaring mistake trying to make a play <clears throat> in the second half, the interception. But other than that, you know, he made some good throws. He was standing in there trying to stand in that pocket when his offensive line was having a really tough night. So I didn't think he played that poorly against Kentucky. I felt like the guys in front of him played poorly. So, you know, if I just got to believe, honestly, if he's at home this week and if that offensive line plays a little better, a little more like normal, he's going to have some success. He's going to make some plays in this game. Uh, two main running backs, of course, Colin Hill, Eris Williams. Is it a thunder and lightning package if, if, if we want to get that basic with it? Is, you know, Colin Hill has shown some great speed to, so far this year. Eris yeah. Williams, is he, is he still the main cow back? If it's, a, if it's in crunch time, which guy's getting the carry? That's a great, that's a great way to phrase a question because, honestly, I don't know. Okay. Right now, if it's crunch time, I'm not sure which one. You know, Colin Hill just totally won the job in the offseason. Went from freshman to sophomore this year. He really took to the offseason program, just grew up and physically became this specimen and so fast. And they were the new staff really liked him high on him. And so he got the majority of the carries in the first couple of games. Eris Williams didn't get a single carry um, against Kansas State, didn't play at all. But then came back and played against uh, Louisiana Lafayette and has been his old self. You know, he's had big runs. So the comparison of those two, here's what Florida fans need to know about those two backs. It's not a situation where one's big, one's little, one's fast, one's slow. They are different, though. Hill is um, – his his center of gravity is a little more to the ground. He's a little lower, a little thicker. Um, his lateral movement and burst is going to be a little more explosive. Like that jump cut, like you step past the line of scrimmage, there's a linebacker, and he'll jump cut one way or the other, and then boom, he's gone but he also has the ability to run over people because he's so thick in his lower body. Eris Williams, the thousand yard rusher from last year is leaner. He's a little taller, a little leaner and not as thick, but he's the one who has, he didn't necessarily have the run off and leave everybody ability that Kylan Hill does. But Eris has that. You saw it last year, man, for four solid quarters, guys will jump on his back and he'll take them down the field and make five yards. The next play, they hit him at the line of scrimmage. You look up, he wiggled and made three and a half. Three plays later, he rips off a 10-yard run. They hit him at 10 yards. He drags two guys, and now it's a 14-yard run, always falling forward. And so he, I think that I think they're having a little bit – they're going through the throws right now of figuring out how do we rotate both these guys in? When do we want them in, and how do we do it fluidly so they're in on certain plays we want them to be in on. I think that competition right now is still kind of confusing them on how they want to rotate them. That sounds a lot like the uh, Florida running backs, uh, running back backfield right now. So uh, yeah. I think we, we we know exactly how that feels, uh, and especially comparing you know two different backs. Uh, the way you compare those guys, I probably would kind of say it's kind of similar to Damian Pierce, the true freshman for Florida, and Jordan Scarlett, who's been around uh, for yeah. a while there. Uh, move to the other side of the ball, Matt. Um, of course, you know I'm sure those guys um, 
I'm sure they're not happy with the way they performed last week. What, what's been the message around Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, and company of, of trying to bounce back this week against the game? Yeah, yeah um, they had a players-only meeting, and Jeffrey Simmons kind of ran that meeting. That was what the coaches told us. And it all centered around their composure and not getting these uh, personal foul uh, penalties where you're, you know, the unsportsmanlike conduct stuff jawing at your teammate and constantly getting in that and being distracted and then not doing your job. Um, and some of that stuff went on. It hurt the defense last week with all that said, you know, it's a little deceiving when you look at just numbers, because the truth is they played good enough to win mm -hmm. on the road. It was a one score, 14 to seven game with eight minutes left in a ball game. And the defense picked one off on the uh, Kentucky side of the field, gave the football plus field position down seven in the second half with a big turnover. And right after that state turned it over through the interception. And it was kind of like down They, the defense was given, they were run out on the field twice in the fourth quarter on short field, you know, and they just couldn't kind of hold up. They just couldn't hold up there at the end. Cause the, the offense could not give them a blow the entire night. And you, you think about it, it's the fourth game of the year, and it's the first time all year long that the offense couldn't stay out there, get first downs, and put drives together. Where the defense does their job, they go over there, they've barely gotten a sip of water, and now it's three and out, we're back on the field again. It's the first time it's happened to them all year. So it was a learning experience. And, you know, again, so I don't think they played poorly by any stretch. They just they made enough mistakes to – um to not be able to win the game with their defense. And frankly, they expected to be good enough to be able to do that. So, um, you know, they're hurting a little bit at corner. Uh, Jamal Peters, one of their starting corners, big guy, uh, got hurt in the Louisiana game, was out last week. He's out again this week. So just slightly banged up there. But other than that, they pretty much got everybody on the field. Uh, and last week they were just getting blocked uh, at, at the wrong times. And in that fourth quarter, they were just getting blocked. And so – I think it was a wake-up call. It was a humbling experience for the defense and a reminder of just how hard you got to play for four quarters if you want to win an SEC game. Matt, you, you just mentioned the secondary there, uh, there a little bit. Have you seen enough from, from Felipe Franks to think that he can test this uh, secondary for Mississippi State? Uh, the Florida offensive line has done well in pass blocking this year. And actually, you know, Franks has looked better under pressure uh, this year uh, as well. And I'm not saying, really, you know, really Florida has the capability to test this pass defense, but, you know, no one so far in the Mississippi State schedule uh, has really tested that secondary, and, and Kentucky really didn't need to. Yeah. This will be the best throwing quarterback State has faced this year, you know, uh, for what that's worth. Um, Terry Wilson, you know, um, he, he's got some ability, but he's brand new. He doesn't really know quite what he's doing in the pass game yet at this level and and uh, had a couple throws really that should have been picked off, and they picked one of them off. And the other guys, there's really no comparison. Um, Kansas State had some players at receiver, um, but but State's defensive line was so good that day, their quarterback just did not have time to get the ball down the field. You know, So what I would say is yes to your question. Well, I've seen plenty enough from Franks this year to know, already know, they're going to complete some balls now in this game. They're going to have some throws that go down the field for big plays, and they're going to you know, complete the ball. It's just a matter of can they do it enough? Can they, do, can they complete it when they get in the red zone enough, like they did in that first game where all their touchdowns seem to be right down there in the red zone? It'll be harder on the road in the SEC. It'll be louder. It'll be, you'll be playing better players. And, and to me, the real thing is, Look, State's defensive front is going to be fired up. Yep. They it, it, they are, especially in the early part of that game, there's going to be some plays. It, I'm just saying get ready for it. There will be some plays where you go, man, is the offensive line even out there? Because it does not. <laughs> it'll look that way a few times. We've asked ourselves that point in the last game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they even had, they had a lot of that kind of stuff against Kentucky in the first half. Yeah. You know, they had some sacks and Terry Wilson where, man, you – they get they get on their horse just right, and those they're coming after you. Again, it's can Frank stand in there, and he seems to be a really tough character. He wouldn't be playing for Mullen if he wasn't tough. Can he stand in there and and take some of that pressure throughout the game and still make those second half and fourth quarter throws? They'll have some opportunities. 
because you know Florida's got some speed out there, and uh, State will give up some opportunities in the pass game. It'll be a matter of can the offensive line keep those guys off your quarterback. A couple more here from Matt before we uh, let him go here. Uh, Matt, what area do you see Florida potentially being able to take advantage of Mississippi State? Is it, is it that uh, you know Franks and, and quarterback there, uh, something on defense, and, and uh, what should Mississippi State do in taking advantage of Florida? Okay, yeah, I would say for Florida, again, you're going to have opportunities where your receivers are open down the field. And, you know, it may be a deep shot or two. That's the other thing. None of the first four opponents – really had a guy get behind the defense and complete that long home run type throw. Florida has that ability. And I that's what I would say is, you know, again, I, I've predicted things about Dan before and been wrong. You know, I thought they would, I thought he'd go to Florida and have a team come out of the gates running the ball this year. Mm-hmm. And that's just not been the case. Maybe it's personnel. I don't know. So I've been wrong. But I would almost bet that they're going to watch the film and they're going to have a first drive, a first, you know, your first 15 plays scripted. And then there's going to be a home run shot, you know, to try to jump on top early because state will give some of those things up. So I think you could take advantage of that. And then, um, you know, one I think distinct advantage that Florida has is in the kicking game, just kind of all the way around. They block punts, they're, they're, they, they're great at kicker and, you know, they punt it well. State has been shaky there a little bit. Coverage units haven't been bad, but just in terms of punting and kicking, you know, it's a little shaky. And I see an advantage for Florida. You know, even on kickoffs, you know, uh, State doesn't – State's got a guy who four out of five times he'll kick it out of the end zone. But then that fifth time it comes down at the 15-yard line, you know, if he misses it a little bit. So that's a big advantage is that third phase of the game. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, Dan's going to put a huge emphasis on the kicking game this week. And for state, what I think that, you know, what I think their deal is it's two things. It's two parts. It sounds like coach speak easy, but it is. If their defensive line plays the way it's capable of, they're going to have a great shot at winning the game last week. They didn't really, for whatever reason, just did not really play the way they're capable of for four quarters. If they do that this week at home, it's going to be a hard – it's going to be a tough win to get for Florida. And then the other side of that is, offensively, they must run the ball some. Last week, because they were – all those false starts, they were constantly first and 15 and second and 20, they never could get in a situation where they could run the ball consistently. They're constantly trying to throw it to get out of negative down and distance to the point that they only ran the ball as a team last week for like 50-something yards. It was horrible. This week, there has to be that emphasis and there has to be that push from that offensive line where you're a three-and-a-half-yard-to-carry team, and if that happens, it's going to open up the everything else for Nick Fitzgerald. If they can't run the ball, they're going to have a hard time scoring points. Matt, I can't thank you enough for joining me here uh, on Gators Breakdown Preview in this this big game. Uh, I think it's big for both programs. It, it can oh, kind of yeah. maybe it can probably set up the rest of the season. I think there's pressure on both head coaches to, to get something done here. Hey, it sets up you know you know for Florida LSU next week. Uh, and you know if you get this, it sets up a huge matchup uh, there for, for in Gainesville and then for Mississippi State. It's there to to, to hang tough in that very very tough SEC West. No doubt. It, this is a statement game for the winning head coach. And, you know, it, for some, in some ways, it's going to be a, a statement game for the losing head coach, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a lot of ways. But I think, I think it's more of an opportunity. You know, it's both first year head coaches. So there's not a lot of consequence immediately mm-hmm. if you lose. They ain't going to fire yeah. you next week if you lose this game. It just kind of sets you back in terms of momentum. Right. But the opportunity, which, you know, Moorhead at home against the former coach, Mullen on the road against his former team, whoever wins it, this is a statement game. And then, hey, if Florida goes in there and wins this one on the road, and then it's LSU the next week, who? I mean, it's going to be, people will forget. You win the next two, people forget about Kentucky real quick. That's what I think. <laughs> hey, my, my magical word for the last few years has been progress. We didn't get under Jim McElwain. It's mm-hmm. a li- we're seeing it slowly and slowly w- with Dan Mullen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, you know, this game would be a, a next step 
for that. So, Matt, I can't thank you enough. Uh, you know what? I, in watching this game Saturday, before it starts, I may switch over to the uh, Mississippi State Radio <laughs> Network and, and catch it for a little while and all that because, you know, it, it, when you bring it here on Gators Breakdown, you really bring it. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, y'all flip over there. My man, Neil Price, our play-by-play announcer, uh, he's, uh, he's from Tennessee volunteer country, but I promise you he's a good guy. And uh, <laughs> he does a fantastic job calling our game. So, yeah, if y'all listen, we'll be honored. All right, Matt. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll definitely uh, have you on here. And maybe you know, after the after the season's over, with and, and get your thoughts on uh, Dan Mullen's first year at Florida. Sounds good. Thank you, David. Matt, thank you so much. Nobody breaks down Mississippi State better than Matt can. And uh, I tell you what, that, that's a that's a great guest uh, to to get here and, and get his football knowledge uh, there. You know, he he. It sounds like you know I was going to ask him, but uh, you know, it was kind of going along and it let, when you get get back to his day there. Uh, but uh, you know, a, a tough competitive matchup here, and I kind of think uh, that's what a lot of people expect here. So what uh, what are my keys to the game? Uh, you know, and uh, Matt mentioned it, and it, it really is how does Florida handle the pressure of that Mississippi State defensive front? Um, Felipe Franks really composed on the road last week uh, against Tennessee, getting those turnovers helped, uh, get, getting in good field position, knowing what to do with it. Uh, and and really just the overall team, you know, those turnovers really really help settle them down. You know what happens if, if Florida doesn't get that same uh, kind of uh, kind of fortune? Hey, look, the, a lot of those they uh, they forced the, those turnovers. They forced except for that one fumble there uh, when Chris came in. You know, can can Florida get some type of similar big play? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be turnovers. You know, it can be a, a big bomb. You know, to actually put points on the board or or a big defensive stand on a, in a third and short or fourth and short. You know. What kind of early spark can we see uh, there? But it's really all honestly how I think Florida handles that Mississippi State front early and often. As Matt said, um, early in this game, you'll be asking, you might be asking yourself what the offensive line is doing uh, there. And I, I think on the road with the cowbells, with the c- crazy crowd, uh, that offensive line, you know, there may be some communication issues. But like, hey, look, you go back to last week, they handled that pretty well. Uh, you have to be because at the beginning of that game, look, what, what's going to be worse? You had 101,000 people singing Rocky Top like crazy, and now at Davis Wade Stadium in, at, at uh, Mississippi State, it's going to be what 65,000, I think, with, with some cowbells. So, uh, a lot less crowd, but yeah, they got those cowbells going there, and uh, the, the crowd's going to be uh, you know, venomous uh, t- towards Dan Mullen. But, um, you really just think early on, how does Florida handle that pressure? That Mississippi State defensive front, Montez Sweat, uh, and, and company, uh, and, and really, because look, they're going to be ticked off with the way they played last week. Uh, and Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, you know, and to mention the the players only meeting and how they need to get in check. You know, a lot of the, the personal fouls uh, last week. So, you know, are they going to be so aggressive early on this game? And, and can Dan Mullen come up with some play calls to use that aggressiveness against them? You know, we haven't seen a lot of these uh, wide receiver screens except, you know, early on in the first game of the season uh, with Florida. Uh, misdirection plays, the sweeps, uh, all that stuff that we kind of expected to see from a Dan Mullen offense, we haven't necessarily seen so so far yet. Do we see it early and often to get this really aggressive Mississippi State defensive front chasing and instead of getting you know, and forcing their way into the backfield? Other side, you know, keep Fitzgerald in the pocket, staying disciplined on the on the Florida defensive front seven. Look, you got to clog those running lanes uh, for Fitzgerald here. He'd he'd rather run inside the tackles than than outside. So while while, while Florida must keep contain. they really must clog those running lanes to keep him in the pocket, make him throw, and especially throw in these passing situations, and especially on third down. Uh, Mississippi State currently has the SEC's number two ranked offense on third downs. Uh, the Bulldogs are converting 54% of their uh, of their third downs. So, you know, that's good for 10th in the nation on third in, in third down conversion there. So a lot of that is because of what Fitzgerald can do with his legs. So it really is imperative that Florida keeps him in the pocket, keep, keep those run, run, run lanes clogged, not let him get outside and make him beat you throwing the ball. Uh, and if he beats you throwing the ball, you just you, you take your lumps and, and move on. Uh, but you you make you, you you keep him in that pocket, make him prove that he can do it. And uh, look, Matt said they're, they're going to take they're going to be taking some deep shots. It, it, them trying to hit the big play. They don't, they don't want to settle 
uh, for, for yardage. They want to hit the, hit the big plays. So that, that gives the chance where Fitzgerald must hold on to the ball. So, you know, when does Florida bring pressure? And if they bring pressure, are those running lanes open? And if they are, look for Fitzgerald to, to, to take it down and run. Uh, but in passing situations, I'm not sure how much, you know, they got some experience. Uh, Todd Grantham and company uh, of what to do against Fitzgerald. So, you know, how much do they bring to pressure? And when they do, where are the running lanes, if there are any, uh, for Fitzgerald uh, to, to pick his way through uh, there? So, you know, there's a couple keys to the game uh, that I think, uh, you know, that that, that kind of must happen uh, for Florida to, to come out on top uh, when they travel to Starkville. Uh, so I wanted to gauge the fan base here and um, see what Gator fans were kind of thinking. Check the confidence level uh, of the Gator fans uh, out there and just wanted to see what you guys thought uh, of how this game would play out. I did this last week for Tennessee, doing it again here uh, for Florida versus Mississippi State. So out of 1,664 votes, I uh, gave the choices of uh, does Florida win close, does Florida win by 10-plus, does Mississippi State win close, or does Mississippi State win by 10-plus? 54% 54% said Florida wins a close game here. Uh, so fan base, pretty confident. Coming off the win against uh, Tennessee on Rocky Top last week, Kentucky uh, beating Mississippi State last week. Uh, got some fans feeling a little more confident uh, that this game uh, c- could go the Gators' way. 22% of you said Florida wins by 10+. plus. 18% says Mississippi State wins a close game. And then 7% say Mississippi State wins by 10 or more points there. So confidence in the Gator Nation heading into Dan Mullen's former head coaching job at Mississippi State. So, of course, I got a lot uh, asked a lot of my prediction <laughs> for this game. And, uh, you know, I, I really go, 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 go back and forth on it. And, and it really is, you know, how, how does Franks perform on the road um, much like last week? Uh, and I threw some a couple stats out there uh, today. We talked about the Mississippi State offense and uh, how how they do on third down. And you know, Florida and, and Franks will have their work cut out them for uh, as well uh, on this Mississippi State defense that ranks seventh in third down conversion for percentage with twenty four point five percent. That's how much they give up. Only twenty four point five percent of Mississippi State defense gives up uh, third downs. Florida's offense ranks 87th in the nation and third down conversion percentage with 36.6. So, you know, it's not a must. You know, Florida's won some games with, with this third down offense uh, not looking the best so far, but this is the stiffest test that, they, that they've had so far uh, as going against that defense. Um, but part of getting better on third down uh, is Felipe Franks. So far this season, he's only 9 of 23 for 39% on third down. 9 of 23 on for 39% on third down. Is all that his fault? Nope. There's been some drops in there, some throwaways. But still, you know, that stat still stands, 9 of 23. So Florida has to get something going on third down to help Felipe Franks uh, find some more open receivers. Receivers have to get open. Uh, but that 9 of 23 really has to improve, I think, uh, here. So uh, 21 of those attempts are third and fourth or longer. 13 are third and seven and longer, five are third and 10 plus. So um, there we go. It's just uh, get better on third down offense and defense. Uh, we, 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 you know, when Grantham was hired, the, the whole famous third and Grantham uh, thing came in there. And uh, look at Mississippi State, the third down defense wasn't too bad last year. Uh, it's been okay so far uh, at Florida this year. And we'll see kind of where it goes uh, this year and kind of how many short yard situation Mississippi State uh, finds himself in on uh, on third down. Who? So my prediction. Um, look, guys, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. I, I, I'll call the upset. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say the Gators are gonna do it. I'm t- I'm gonna say the Gators are going into Starfield, coming out with a coming coming out with a win. 27-23 Gators. Uh, Look, going into this season, I, I saw. Uh, 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 look, I still think Mississippi State probably is the better team right now, but there is a time where I, I think you can pick it, pick pick upsets to happen. And right now, you know, going into this game, it still would be an upset. Now, when November rolls around, uh, who who knows? I did. Who 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 knows where these teams are at right now, or or, or then? 
Um, so right now, I still would consider it upset, but I'm picking the upset. I'm going to pick the Gators uh, to, to march into Starkville. I think Dan Mullen's going to just throw the kitchen sink at him. Some creative call it, creative play calling on offense. I, I mentioned the misdirection, some, some screens, some things we haven't seen before, uh, I think may be unleashed here um, when, when, when the Gators travel to, to Starkville. Uh, and uh, look, this, I'm really, I'm really excited for this game. I think this game could be a classic game with the way it plays out. I think the emotions are going to be running so high. I think the Florida players are going to want to be playing for Dan Mullen. Yeah, they don't know those guys are going to get so much, but they're they're going to want to play if they fully bought in. If these guys are buying in, and I think we see that week by week uh, of the buy-in these guys have. They're going to, want to go out there and play for their coach. They're going to go out there and play for themselves. But Mississippi State on the other side, <laughs> I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of venom from, from, from the players. Of uh, you, you've, We've heard things of, hey, look, he, he, Dan Mullen only gave us five minutes when uh, in his farewell speech when he was leaving. Uh, you know, So a lot of those players feel slighted. And fan base feels slighted, of, co- of course. Uh, and, and look, it, they feel slighted because, oh, he kept saying he wasn't going to go. Or what, what do you expect a coach to say when he's talking with, with other with other jobs of course he's gonna say that so uh, i'm sorry it, when it's all said and done you know it, it's florida it, it, it's it's a program that you know takes his football very seriously he was gonna pay him six million dollars and it's a place he's been before he knows the expectations he knows he can win uh it, it was it, it was made a uh, made sense move there so but you know mississippi state they, they go back they lost athletic director scott strickland uh, to Florida, and then they lost their head coach to Florida. So there's a lot of venom <laughs> going on here uh, and this spewing back and forth between Mississippi State uh, and Florida. But when it's all said and done, I'm picking the upset. I'm picking our Gators to, to come out of there 27-23 and setting up a big game uh, next week uh, against LSU. But uh, look, there, look, you know, um, as I said, go, going, going back into the preseason, I, I found myself no way picking this game because of the trenches, because of Mississippi State's defensive front against this Florida offensive line. I think the offensive line is getting better as the week goes on. I still don't think it's a strength of this team, but lately they've been serviceable. Pass blocking has been, I'll say, good. Uh, and last week uh, against Tennessee, they're coming off their best run performance. Uh, so I think the offensive line is finding their way, and then Mullen gets creative, uh, and Florida squeaks out uh, a Starville. With a victory, with a victory, with a victory. Uh, so let's go take a look around the SEC uh, this week. Uh, some big games again uh, around the SEC East. Uh, but let's start. Uh, we'll start in order here. The noon games, uh, Louisiana at Alabama. That game will be over with in about 10 minutes. <laughs> Arkansas, Texas A&M. Uh, Arkansas, not so good. Not, not, not very good. Played Auburn, kind of tough last week. Uh, but Texas A&M, uh, can they lick their wounds? Uh, hey, look, when teams, we, we've heard, seen it in the, in the past, too. When you could play Alabama and then you play the very next week, you don't really play all that good. So maybe that game's a little uh, closer uh, th- than we think. So uh, Tennessee at Georgia is the CBS national game. I don't know how in the world. Even before Florida-Tennessee last week, even, you, even if you didn't think Florida was going to beat Tennessee, wouldn't you have picked Florida-Mississippi State? just because of the uh, Dan Mullen storyline. But I do know Mississippi State vouched hard for the SEC to the SEC to make that a night game. It's a 6 o'clock kickoff, so it's only, uh, well, I think Mississippi's an hour behind uh, there. So sorry, it it is a 5 o'clock for them, but I know they wanted a later kickoff uh, there. But Tennessee and Georgia is a 3.30 game. How does Tennessee respond after getting uh, pounced by Florida last week? And Georgia not playing its best, but played well enough against Missouri uh, last week. Uh, Four o'clock on the SEC Network is Southern Miss and Auburn. Uh, Not much there. Four o'clock as well on the SEC Network. Tennessee State at Vanderbilt. Not much there. Florida and Mississippi State kickoff at six o'clock on ESPN at 7.30. The other big SEC East matchup, South Carolina against undefeated Kentucky. Does Kentucky get their first loss? How does South Carolina come in uh, to the Commonwealth and uh, Will Muschamp there. Uh, a lot of people surprised when the line first came out. South Carolina was favored uh, in, in that game and not Kentucky, but that line has swung back to Kentucky's favor, and they're now favored at home, which is probably the way it should be. <laughs> but uh, uh, can Kentucky keep it going? Uh, you know, that, that Asking a lot to come off of a, a win against Mississippi State and turn right around and, and do it again. How, how does Kentucky handle 
the praise. That, that, I think that's the question uh, I have. Everybody's patting him on the back right now. Uh, and if you know, if you want those special type of seasons, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stack up good wins in consecutive weeks. Somewhere along the way, uh, can they do it again uh, when they host South Carolina? And at nine o'clock, we get a pretty late SEC game here uh, after Florida Mississippi State on ESPN. This one's on ESPN as well. Ole Miss visits LSU uh, the week before LSU comes to the swamp. I think that one can be pretty sneaky here. Ole Miss, I know, didn't play Alabama tough at all. The LSU offense is still finding their way. So if this Ole Miss offense can get anything going and this LSU offense kind of still playing similar to what they've played throughout the season, that Ole Miss-LSU game can, can be sneaky if at all LSU is looking ahead to the to the Florida game, uh, but also you know you, uh, I think this this if this Ole Miss offense just finds a little bit of a spark, that could be a kind of a dicey game. LSU had a dicey game last week at home uh, against an opponent they really really should have beat. So uh, we'll see how that that plays out. So that's the SEC for Week Five. Some pretty good games there, but uh, one we'll all of course have our eyes on six o'clock ESPN. Florida visits Mississippi State as Dan Mullen returns to Starkville. So guys and girls, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Uh, thanks to Matt Wyatt uh, for, for joining us here, uh, breaking down Mississippi State like nobody else can. I hope you got a whole ton of information uh, that you find valuable for there from him. And hey, look, if uh, you, you want to hear the other side of things, be sure to check out uh, the Mississippi State Sports uh, Radio Network there and, and the football um, uh, analysis from Matt Wyatt uh, there. He's a former Mississippi State quarterback, uh, so he knows what he's talking about. Uh, Follow Dan Mullen really, really close. He kind of knows what to expect from Mullen. And I think, you know, you, you could get us kind of uh, hear and hear what he was saying that uh, this is going to be a tough competitive matchup. And there are some places this Gator team can take advantage of. Uh, I think most of it is if Philly Bay Franks has some time to throw and then watch out for some big plays from the Gators. So for Matt Wyatt, thanks again for him joining us. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>